Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How are you doing, Sean? Good, man. I, uh, I've never... These two episodes we picked, one of them completely destroys a villain that I loved, and one of them completely fixes a villain that I loved. Interesting. That I, that okay. I didn't love. Yeah, we're going to have some stuff to talk about then. Uh, the two episodes that we're the two episodes that we're doing today are Cold Comfort and Never Fear, which are the return of two famous Batman villains with new designs. So uh, we'll jump right into it. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Cold Comfort. Cold Comfort, written by Hillary J. Bader, directed by Dan Reba. And this one, Mr. Freeze wants revenge and threatens to destroy everything that Batman loves in life. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that this is the one you're talking about that destroys a villain that you love. So why don't you, why don't you lead us off? Uh, um, as I said before, I thought the uh, send-off that Mr. Freeze had after Sub-Zero was great. Mm-hmm. He was with two polar bears walking off into the sunset, having just seen on the TV... Uh, that uh, Nora was saved. You don't get to see Nora. You don't get to hear her. He, she's just always this like unattainable thing, and he, he just walks away into the sunset, literally. Um, and for him to come back without his goggles, for one thing, yeah, and with like two or three sassy Eskimo chicks as yes. his gang, <laughs> wise cra- wise cracking Eskimo chicks. I just was like, no, this is not my Mister Freeze. I think this. Uh, they were pressured to do something with him, and they tried to reinvent him as more of a traditional, like Adam West style villain or whatever. And uh, I and I don't understand his motivation here. He just wants to make everybody pay, which seems sort of vague. And he happens to go after Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of this episode and what it did to uh, Mister Freeze. I, I do like that they got rid of the purple gloves, though. Yeah. Um, like I wish that there was a hybrid between this this design. Basically, I want this design, but I want it to have the goggles. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, on the flip side from that, I actually think this is the second best Mr. Freeze story they did. Um, <laughs> oh, I I would take this over Sub-Zero, and I would take this over the other episode that they did with uh, the Ice Disneyland or whatever. Um, Whoa, I am shocked, man. Yeah. Well, I think I don't disagree with what you're saying about what they do to him. However, I think it is the best use of him. Like, it's the only thing, the only way you can move him forward and make him a returnable villain is what they do in this by instead mm-hmm. of having him trying to bring back Nora, they've taken Nora off the table by bringing her back and having her marry somebody else. And so now he Mm -hmm. is gone over to the dark side and is uh, determined to take take away the things that everybody else loves the way the thing he loves was taken away from him. Because as we've talked about before, the tough thing with him is he's tough to do as a returning character because Mm -hmm. his the way that they present him on the show is working solely for. Nora. Everything he does is in service of Nora. And as you're saying, mm-hmm. they they took they took her off the table by bringing her back at the end of Sub Zero. Which actually, funny enough, this aired before Sub Zero came out. This came oh. out. This aired in 1997, huh. and uh, Sub Zero didn't come out until 98. 
Hmm. But it um interesting. Yeah. I think I think <clears throat> doing it this way where he's now he's now reacting to the the loss of Nora instead of the uh possibility of bringing her back is really the only mm-hmm. thing you can do with him based on the setup that they've given him in the show. However, I don't disagree about everything else you said because <clears throat> this episode I think is a lot of fun, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's consistent character-wise for him and it also mm-hmm. is super super truncated. Like Batman pretty much kills him at the end. <laughs> yeah, then there's he's, that. Yeah, he, he literally straps, straps him, him to a bomb. He straps him to a quote reverse fusion bomb, which I don't know what that is, but uh, apparently it makes a lot of ice and he just kicks him out of the, he kicks him out of the bomb drop into the ocean and then just flies away. And he's like, that's the last we'll see of Mr. Freeze probably. Um, <laughs> because I killed him. Yeah. Because he's probably dead. And it's just, uh, <laughs> and that's just the end of the episode. It's just over. There's no, yeah. I, I like it because they set up a character move that they never address. Like there's never a scene mm-hmm. where Batman has to, explain to mr freeze that everybody loses things they love and it's not just you know like talk him off the ledge or anything it's just nope Mm -hmm. he just kicked him into the water and then that's it how i i glad i'm glad that you agree with my points but how given all that how can you possibly say this is better than um the other two episodes that that you just referenced in the movie oh i don't think it's better than uh What's uh, Heart of Ice? Heart of Ice. No, I know no. you're not saying that. You don't like cold. You like this better than Cold Comfort, and you like this better than Sub Zero movie. Yeah. Yes. I it, I don't remember what the name of the other episode. This one is Cold Comfort. I don't remember what the other episode name is. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, deep deep freeze. That's deep what freeze. Was. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I find this one. I, I it it's more of a straight line for me in this one as far as what Mister Freeze wants. And mm-hmm. how he goes about getting it, and the thing with the the twist that he's just a head left over because the the disease has ravaged his body or whatever is is a nice touch. Uh-huh. Deep freeze is I don't know it's it, it's a little bit too much backflipping for me. I don't I don't hate that episode, but when we were talking about it, it was just too many too ma- it brought up too many questions for me to really really uh, uh, enjoy it. And Sub Zero is fine, um, mm-hmm. but. I think it, uh, I I think it's a fine end for the character, like you're saying. I think it's a really good end, but mm-hmm. this one, I I would probably go back to this episode before I went back to Sub Zero. I agree that it it has to take some chances by changing Freeze's motivation, mm-hmm. and I don't know if there's a good way to do that. I don't think there's anything as compelling as when he was set up trying to cure his wife. Yeah, I think that's a tough bar to to to, to beat. Um. I guess the reason why I am such a fan of Deep Freeze and Sub-Zero is, you know, the, the character didn't change at all. It right. was more about the people around him and how they were using him. And uh, I felt that it still had the things that I love about Freeze. It had the sadness, it had the drama, it had um, his kind of cold-hearted approach to things. It had a little bit of warmth in both, both of those episodes, or that episode in that movie. Like, those are the things that I need to be there for Mr. Freeze's story. And yeah. this takes those things away. And the goggles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, I, 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 yeah, like, I feel like they've been, he's been on borrowed time for a while. Like, I get that. Because what are you supposed to do with this guy once Nora is fixed? I'm not sure if this is it. 
<clears throat> and I was trying while you were talking, I was trying to think of what I would do to keep that motivation. Maybe he starts going after his uh, wife's new husband and starts taking down his empire. Or maybe he just attacks anyone who tries to date his wife forever and ever. <laughs> and that's that's pretty lame. So yeah. I don't know what I would do to fix it, but I just this felt so foreign to me. And um, yeah, I, I felt like at least Deep Freeze. I thought it was a good episode right until you, the end when you question how the hell this society even started up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this one, the, the list of, of things that I don't like about it just gets longer and longer the more I think about it. Yeah, I, I, I think unfortunately it falls into the, the category we kind of were worried about in the last episodes that this show seems to be missing that extra spice of like character and heart that, to some of these characters. because that I. Too. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't disagree. I think I think there's a lot I think they take him for a ride quite a bit in this. Um mm-hmm. I, I, I like the concept, I think, more than what they actually do with it. Because I think there's a lot yeah. of interesting stuff there to get into as far as, you know, Mr. Free spent his entire life trying to save his wife, and now that his wife is mm-hmm. gone, he has to try and save himself, but he's too hung up on uh being mad that his wife is gone. And taking that on other people. Also, I do. <laughs> I did find it oddly, really odd that he goes after. Um, he's trying to take away the one thing that everybody loves from these people, and he goes after Bruce Wayne, the one person in Gotham <laughs> everybody knows has never lost anything that was very dear to him. <laughs> yeah, apparently he hasn't read any newspapers. Yeah, he was busy. They, they don't get the newspapers yeah. at the iceberg, I guess. Yeah, nothing sad ever happened to Bruce Wayne. That's always been Bruce Wayne's problem. Isn't yeah, it? too happy. When uh, Batgirl shows up in his living room to help fight Mr. Free, it just seems so odd looking. And it, Furthermore, how do you not figure out that Batman is Bruce Wayne the minute Batgirl shows up in his living room? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, maybe Bruce Wayne's having an affair with Batgirl. You never know, which is, which is a problem in and of itself because she's like, 18 and he's like 35 and also yeah. i don't i i'm on record saying i don't ever want that to happen so um, so i was reading a review and they talked about uh the sexual tension between bruce wayne and batgirl uh-huh. in this episode uh and i had to go back and watch exactly the scene they were talking about but batgirl's in the Batcave training with all these like uh posts that are shooting lasers at her and uh she gets a really high score and bruce says like we've got something to do tonight or something like that. And there's a quick shot of her sort of smiling. And the pot, um, reviewer that I was looking at said, she's obviously thinking that they're about to go on a date or something. And uh, instead of that, he says, no, you have more work to do. He turns the uh, training program back on to a higher setting mm-hmm. and she starts getting zapped again. But she sticks her tongue out at him or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the, this guy was reading into it way too much where he's like, clearly uh, Batgirl wants a relationship with Bruce, but Bruce is too mature and she's too immature. Hence why she sticks her tongue out and blah, 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 blah. Did you pick up any of that stuff at all? I did not. I was not picking that up. <laughs> However, like I don't. I don't have a problem if that's what they're going for. Like, I don't have a problem with, right. with Barbara <clears throat> having a crush on Batman. Like, yeah. sure, fine. Yeah. Um, it's when that crush gets reciprocated what is when I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, when he finally is like, all right, and just pulls it out. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I don't think they get to that in this series, but let's let's hope not. <laughs> um, the you know, I think the most interesting thing about this episode is I don't know if this was intentional. But there are two moments that are just like um, 
bring up character views on like life and society that I don't think they've ever gotten into on this show. The first being mm-hmm. when Batman and, and Batgirl is, are training. And um, she she gets blasted by the lasers or whatever. And she's like, I, I did much better this time. And he goes, you're still dead. And she's like, well, and he goes, dead is dead. Which <laughs> wouldn't really have stood out to me, except for the fact that he says the exact same thing in the next episode. So Bat- mm. Batman has this weird <laughs> dead is dead philosophy going on in this ser- <laughs> season, which is strange. And then, uh, yeah. And then the other one is when um, I think uh, Tim is watching TV or whatever, and he goes on a mini rant about the ineffect- effectiveness of the justice <laughs> system. And then yeah. Bruce is like, "What makes you think that?" And he's like, "Well, basically you, because you're Batman." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I didn't really." Good point. Like, yeah. <laughs> which it's it, it seems yeah. like two topics they've never really touched on in this way. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I was talking about the last episode. Is I feel like this new season is too streamlined, and they lose some of the heart, and they mm-hmm. lose some of the depth, and they trade it in for action. And uh, it is cleaner and slicker, but I think about the episode in season one where uh, you have the Invisible Man trying to visit his daughter because he loves her, and Batman's fighting this guy who's wearing this toxic suit. Yeah. He's killing him, but he just has to see his daughter. There's a lot of depth in those ideas. Sure. Um, that, to me, doesn't scream kid show, but of course I know it is. But I, that depth is not there with episodes like these. Um, I think that they jam the depth in to brief moments. Like the mm. moment you're talking about when um, Tim gives Bruce some pushback and says, I know the justice system doesn't work. How do you know that? I'm watching you. So they do get there. And there's even one in the next episode at the very end where Batman goes, sometimes a little fear is a good thing. So you have these heartful moments, but they're crammed into tiny, t- tiny spaces rather than letting them breathe, which I think the first few seasons did better. Yeah. And it's they're bringing up this stuff that doesn't it's not in service of anything other than like little moments. Um, yeah. Like this, the yeah. the fact that Tim brings up uh, the uh, the justice system being ineffectual because of or ineffective because of Batman's uh-huh. existence doesn't play into like the way Batman decides to deal with Mister Freeze at the end or anything. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just it's just a, a scene for a scene's sake that is not really part of the story they're telling. It kind of it reminds mm-hmm. me a little bit of um, Wes and I are in the middle of we just started season three of. Star Trek Enterprise, and um, uh-huh. <clears throat> the biggest problem that I have with Star Trek Enterprise is a a lot of their episodes don't really seem to be in service of any anything like thematically or narratively. Whereas mm-hmm. something like TNG or Deep Space Nine has are are rich with uh, so, narrative um, themes and 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 stuff like that. Enterprise just kind of is going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this feels like is it feels like them just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. Like you know if you Yeah. I I find it hard I I find it hard to believe that anyone this is maybe unfair for me to say cuz obviously making television shows is very hard, but um <laughs> how do you have a have a meeting about using Mr. Freeze again and then go like, well, we've told a really interesting story about this character over two episodes in a long form movie. Uh, what should we do to continue that? I don't know. Give him some henchmen he's never had before and, and mm-hmm. have him set up a, 
ice laboratory. Like they don't even go into the fact that he's kidnapped a bunch of scientists to help him. <laughs> That's not even part of the story. What were they there for? I forget. They were there to help him like whatever is killing him. They were helping him, uh, trying to help him oh, reverse yeah. it or something. And yeah. they were, I, I don't know if they were involved with building his robot body or what, but yeah, like they, they're just there. I feel like previously that would be more of the drive of the story is the scientists mm-hmm. are going missing and Batman has to figure out why or whatever. And this, it's just, that's just yeah. a side yeah. plot backing up this thing where Mr. Freeze is going around, you know, stealing the firstborn sons of Gotham, like the penguin and Batman returns. Yeah. I, I feel like instead of this episode, you know, I, I want to move the character forward. So what would I have done instead? You know, Batman's always offering to help Freeze. I would have liked to have seen an episode where Freeze puts down his gun and he goes to Batman or Bruce and says, okay, you know, let's, what can you do to save me? Mm-hmm. And he actually allows Bruce through his foundation to do whatever he can. And maybe he does cure him. And maybe um, after he's cured, he finds out that Nora's remarried. Or There's got to be some twist at the end, of course. Um I'm not sure that would be fun for a kid show because there's not really much action to it. But I don't know. At this point, I feel like uh, after he loses Nora to another man, he would just want to die. I don't see him wanting to live much longer. I think that would be in, more in character for him. Mm. And that's <clears throat> that's kind of what I like about this is that it it turns his it turns his uh, actions into much more self destructive. It is kind of undercut by the idea that he's got these scientists working. Or to yeah. help save him, or whatever. But the idea that he has now turned to flat-out crime, um, mm-hmm. I I do. F- and he, it's not even it's crime without um, he do- he doesn't gain anything from it. He's just doing it to be an asshole. Basically, he's just doing mm-hmm. it to hurt people. And I actually I actually like that turn from him. Um, but it, there's no resolution to it. Like there's. That turn only works if he kind of pulls back or or is pulled mm-hmm. back by somebody else at the end. And yeah. that doesn't happen because Batman blows him up. Yeah. You're right. If he was resorting to petty crime, just acting like a, a dumb Adam West supervillain with Eskimo chicks, at the very end, he should be reminded of what used to really drive him and how dynamic his motivation was. Like, I think he should remember that he wasn't... He should catch himself. Like, oh, I've just turned into a criminal. Like, that was what made me special, is mm-hmm. even though people called me a criminal, I really wasn't. But after I lost Nora, he just became a criminal. And you're right. If there was a, a part at the end where he realized that and somehow rose above it again, and reminded to the noble uh, motivations that, he used, that used to drive him, that would have made the petty crime stuff okay. But... Instead, he's just trapped to a bomb <laughs> as a head and goes away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a really strange mishmash of stuff for him. Um, how do you feel about yeah. the about the robot head? I like it. I didn't like it at first, but uh, I it's it's nice. It's a nice change. The fact that his uh, condition and his cure for himself has literally cost him his own body, and he's had to resort mm-hmm. to this. And the, the you know the spider reveal thing is super cool. Um, do you like it? I do. I actually forgot that it happened in this show. I thought that they didn't reveal <laughs> he was ahead until Batman Beyond. Um, and uh, I, I like the design. I actually I have the uh, the original era 
action figure with, mm. and his head actually does mm-hmm. come off. I don't. Do you? Do and you it have has the, the spider parts too, right? Yeah. Do you have the new, the new one that came out like a few years ago? The the redesigned toy. No. Uh, no. I. Uh, I I think the head might come off that one as well, but I can't remember. I, I didn't pick that one up. I just got the original uh, costume. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. I, I have that. It's one of the. I don't buy a whole lot of toys, but I did buy that uh, version when it came out in the '90s, and it had the head that you could attach the spider legs. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, my my problem with those figures is they didn't articulate very well, and they were pretty stiff. Yes. Yeah. They're all they're all pretty. I mean, the action figure technology has come a long way. That's a very silly thing to say. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I mean, honestly, those the Batman animated series toys that DC was putting out the last five years or so are fantastic. They are so yeah. good. And like they did you did you get your Asriel Asbat? One no, yet? I haven't. I haven't gotten one yet because it's <laughs> like the pandemic hit right when it was supposed to start coming out, and then on top of uh-huh. that, that was right around the time DC. Warner Brothers shut down DC Direct. So mm. I don't know what the status of that thing is. Supposedly, there might be more of them coming back. I don't know. I may never get it. We'll see. So did you order it from your local shop? I did, yes. So why didn't you... Can you just buy it online right now? Um, I can't. I can buy it secondhand through like eBay, but anywhere that uh-huh. sells it, like any toy store or site, they're sold out. They don't have any. Right, and okay. I don't want to pay. But I know you want to support. Yeah, and I, I don't want to pay your friends and stuff. Yeah, and I don't want to pay like sixty dollars for it on eBay. So, is that uh, how much are they uh, originally? Uh, twenty five. I think thirty bucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I bought the Batman one, which had all the interchanging hands and different faces. You could make them kind of smile and kind of not. Mm. <laughs> um, and then they came out with a new one that's ju- that's slightly bigger. And uh, I don't know how many times I'm expected to double dip into Batman TAS nostalgia. Mm. Yeah, I the uh, only yeah. the only one that I have doubles of is uh I have both Batman costumes. I have the redesign and mm. the original costume. But uh Yeah. Yeah, I other than that, I've got mostly I think entirely uh original design stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um It's funny. I uh <laughs> I don't even keep my own toys when mm-hmm. uh, I get them. When they make stuff of my own out- outfits, my own designs. Like I got <clears throat> Batman, uh, Asbat, and a few other things from Todd because you know he makes that stuff, and they're amazing. But uh, I don't know. I just I'm very particular about the things that I choose to display because I don't want to overdo it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I was going to keep the uh, Asbat because I, when I saw the designs at turnaround, I think mean, that action figure is amazing. But for some reason, I ended up um, giving them to my nieces and stuff instead, just to friends. Yeah, yeah. I know everyone's like screaming at their radios right now. Well, how dare you give away free toys? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just not good at that. You know, the, the toy everyone's young niece wants is the <laughs> Asriel Batman suit. <laughs> well, she likes that I work for Batman, so yeah, she'll take yeah. anything I give her. No, I mean, She's, that's... I'm, I'm the cool uncle. That That's awesome, no matter how you shake it out, if your uncle gives you a toy, a toy of something he designed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like if we ever have uh, get back to normal and there's ever like bring your cool uncle to work day in class, I'm gonna blow every other uncle out of the water. <laughs> Toys for Unless, everyone. Like my, my uncle is Santa Claus. <laughs> my uncle actually is Batman. So, <laughs> Damn it. that would that would be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's so. 
No, sorry. I no, was going to go off go on ahead. a tangent no, that we go. don't need to go off on. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, so when I did um, White Knight, uh, my editor really didn't want me to do the page where Joker has all his toys. He didn't like the idea of Gotham where Batman merchandise is a thing. Um, that that definitely wasn't me who gave you that note. I can tell you that much. No, no, no. It was my uh, actual editor, Mark yeah. Doyle. Um, and, you know, it, keep at the time, they didn't know White Knight was going to be a hit. They right. were just sort of going along with it just so I could, they could get me to work with Scott again um, when I was finished. So I think to his, to in credit of him, I think when artists on the main line decide to throw in Batman merchandise in the background all the time, it just gets to be kind of eye-rolly after a while. Especially when you're an editor, it starts to beg the question, like, who's actually producing toys of Batman and selling them in Gotham? Like, it just gets to be mm-hmm. a little bit silly. So they were sort of, like, worried that I was going to fall into that. But I said to him, but that's the point of this story, is Batman has become a phenomenon in a way where Joker's the, the biggest fanboy. And, of course, he's going to be collecting all the toys like the the what made my Joker different is he's the biggest fan of Batman that there ever was in a weird way, and you know the toys and all that stuff in his cell was sort of um, a way to visualize it and a way to throw in some Easter eggs and to sort mm, of mm. talk about. Um, it, it is very meta, and it could maybe it doesn't work for some people, but a lot of the readers seem to really like that stuff, and they didn't really question who the hell was making these toys of Batman. And also, which makes what your point so interesting, if the. Uh, if the uh, brand manager ever is a thing, uh, the reason that he got his uh, money, started his fortune, is because he put out a copyright on the bat signal. Yeah. <laughs> and no one else thought to do that. Yep. He owns the <laughs> trademark. I was going to say, we do have an answer for that as to why those toys exist. <clears throat> because ba- the brand manager owns the, co- owns the trademark for the bat symbol because yep. Batman never trademarked it, so... No, that's one thing Batman forgot to do was trademark his own symbol. Mm-hmm. And so now Gotham, you're selling, you know, lollipops of Batman toys, whatever. This yep. guy's making a fortune because he's the only one that had the foresight to like trademark. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet no one expected that uh, page of Batman <laughs> toys to turn into a story point, but it it has. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I uh that was I I hopefully we get to to actually create that character cuz that was that was the eureka moment when I was thinking about it it was like oh my god of course he makes his money cuz no one ever trademarked the bat symbol so he owns the license know, for everything it's, and it's perfect for white knight because I thrown in these things that they bring like real world like the idea of a batman devastation fund is like a real world boring tax solution to a, a fantasy problem like Batman. Like, if Batman was real, they would have to have some kind of emergency fund to fix all the, the collateral damage. Like, right, right. So when you bring in these real-world things, and you have to do it in very small, interesting ways that don't overwhelm the plot. But having the guy trademark the bat symbol and turn it into something is totally in the, the, the feel of White Knight. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully Brandon Brandanowitz will see, will see <laughs> a comic book page at some point in the future. Yeah, you know, the spinoff stuff uh, on White Knight, uh, to go off on another tangent here, it's too bad, we had a, I had, my plan last year in the summer was to do uh, a Batgirl spinoff and a uh, Harley Quinn spinoff, mm-hmm. but the artist that was attached to my Batgirl thing was worried that they were going to get caught up in my Twitter drama, and they didn't want to get attacked like I was getting attacked, so this person quit, mm-hmm. and... Um, the project just went away. So I was setting up um, the idea of the producer going around uh, 
putting new villains in Gotham because Gotham's more interesting if you have people, you know, these grand actors on this stage, so to speak. But when that artist uh, uh, quit, then I couldn't find another artist in time. So I don't know, like my plans for having the producer doing these books where this guy's creating new villains kind of went away. I mean, all we have is the Batgirl White Knight spinoff and he doesn't really get a much attention there. And the plan to expand him was in play, but once that artist quit, everything kind of got fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if anybody's curious, like where the hell that was supposed to be headed, there's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to be able to get back to it and when we're going to be able to do more spinoffs. Um, but I think we're going to look at how sales do for Beyond the White Knight and the uh, Jason Todd thing that Clay and I are writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it would it would be cool to see uh, to see the other uh, nooks and crannies of that universe come out eventually yeah yep so uh what would you want to draw in this episode i would redraw that helicopter at the end um at the end there's this escape scene where this uh freezes inside this uh helicopter and it's designed to look like a 1920s or 30s deco helicopter with a giant window at the front and I get what they were trying to go for, but I think this design just fails on so many levels. It, it just always bugs the shit out of me when I see it. <laughs> you know, I didn't even I didn't even think about the design of that thing because I I think I feel like they've done so many of those things that it just was like, yeah, it's another Art Deco plane thing. <laughs> yeah, this one was the least effective Art Deco attempt that I've seen in a while. It's a sh- um, it's a shame because you know you think back to I was thinking about how I I, I did register how like simplistic the design inside was where it was just sort of like a chair and a stick <laughs> and a couple gauges and stuff. And I was thinking back to yeah. how much work and amazing animation they put into that Joker episode where he's flying the biplane and he, they have mm. that nice turnaround of him like knocked out shooting the machine gun and everything. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's just, yeah, it, this, this, this series still kind of feels like a contractually obligated record sort of, sort of thing. Um, yeah yeah um i'm guessing you draw him uh with the spider legs yes actually i would that's a good answer yeah that's my second choice yeah i i i really like the reveal of that and the uh playing that up for like a little bit of horror i think would be would be really fun yeah um yeah good answer man thanks uh what would you rate this episode (laughs) i'm gonna go a two, two on this. Yeah. yeah, I was coming in at a four, but I think I'm going to dial <laughs> it down to a three because I all of the things that you said I don't disagree with. I was a little bit taken by the interesting stuff they were putting down, um, but I I don't disagree that they've kind of taken him for a ride a bit and sort of uh, yeah, not really not really moved him forward in, in a really meaningful way. They've kind of put a couple mm-hmm. ideas down that are interesting and then just sort of been like, yeah, and yeah. here's some other stuff. So I think the, um, the difference between you and me is I think you tend to give more bonus points for trying. I think that you'd like when people attempt to think outside of the box and do stuff that isn't going to always work. Sure. Um, I think that you're naturally like that. And that's, that's good. It's good that you're like that. But for me, I, if it doesn't work, I still grade pretty severely well i think it's but I, I see where you're coming from i i think it's doesn't work i think is is a kind of a subjective term because like i i don't think that the things that they have him do don't work i don't think the entire thing works 
but the elements that I that they did add that I like, I do think work. Um, but I think they're undercut by some of the other things that don't. So it's it's just it's not a it's not a whole package thing. I guess is the way to way to say some of, so some of it works, his, some of it doesn't. So okay, so the Eskimo chicks for you that did not work. No, I don't think those work. I I think those are those are kind of a betrayal of the character and uh, just mm-hmm. the episode overall. It's not, yeah. it's not, it doesn't, uh, as far as an entire package doesn't quite live up to, to what they've done with him in the past. Mm-hmm. And does him uh, committing crimes against random people to squish their happiness and hope, does that work for you? It does. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I like that he is, uh, he's taking out his loss by making other people lose things. It's a very, a very <laughs> Batman-y thing. And he's in the stuff that he's doing is like, is fairly heartbreaking like when he destroys that dude's painting and he's like i'm never gonna paint again <laughs> this took me five years to do i can't ever do this again that's 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 a dick move I mean, he man was planning on blowing up the city at the end anyway and all that stuff would have been taken care of if he just moved on to his the part yeah three of his plan. yeah i don't know why he needs to do that stuff if he's just gonna blow the city up and turn it to ice but you know. first i'm gonna ruin this guy's painting and then i'm gonna destroy the city he, he almost in. kills a dog <laughs> He when he starts talking about taking the things that people love, he turns to that lady's dog and gets ready to blast the dog. <laughs> <laughs> it could have gotten really dark really fast. Yeah. I yeah, I, I think um, I think I like it because I think there I think there is a really good story in here. And mm-hmm. what they did made me made my ears perk up a little bit more than than some of the other stuff they've done with him. It just from going from like the, the incredible dynamic romance and the drive that we started off with freeze and made him so compelling and then making changing him into i want to go make people cry mm. just to me is not even close to what i need that character to be yeah i mean i don't know i'd, I'd rather they do something different <laughs> than have him cry over his dead wife or his almost dead wife again you know it's yeah. every time every time someone yeah. says every time someone says nora he's like oh nora but it's like, if, yeah. you, if you if you and i were tasked with writing something different if they said to us write us a, an episode um go off of the stuff that we set up in the you know two episodes plus that mini movie i don't think you and i would end up writing eskimo chicks and no there's got to be a way to do another extension of freeze that changes his motivation that doesn't feel so alien from what he was you know yeah 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 i think i think if you strip away that stuff i think the i think the core of 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 the idea which is that the freeze thing is destroying his body. Everything he worked for is now he's gotten what he wanted, but not in the way that he thought he was going to get it. So Nora is alive, but she, he can never be with her. So his entire motivation is gone. So how does he deal with that while he's falling apart? And he Uh decides if, if my life is worth nothing and I've lost everything, then everybody else is going to have to suffer with me. And that's, that I think is an interesting core of an idea, but Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that's going to do it for Cold Comfort, and we will take a quick break, and we'll be back with Never Fear. Okay, Never Fear, written by Stan Berkowitz. Directed by Kenji Hakazaki. I hope I said that right. Oh, the thing I did want to mention is um, we've been... 
the Wikipedia listing is actually different than the listing on the DVDs for this one. So I think the mm-hmm. previous episode I said this episode was going to be Cold Comfort and Double Talk, but uh, we jumped around a little bit. But from now on, we're going to be going by the Wikipedia listing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So uh, let's see where we Never fear. In this one, the Scarecrow develops a new toxin that, rather than inducing fear, eliminates it, making average people incredibly reckless and dangerous, including Batman. It's now up to Robin to save his mentor and foil Scarecrow's plot. The other thing I didn't mention um, that I didn't notice in the last episode, in, the, in our first episode of the season, but it did, I did notice it in Cold Comfort, they don't do the uh, uh, title illustrations anymore. No. It's just the yeah, title just over, a... the, over the, the animation. Yeah. Which yeah. That, I ass- that adds to the streamlining feel that I'm yeah. not loving. I assume that's probably also to keep it in line with Superman because I don't think Superman was doing that thing, and it's yeah, it's yep. all streamlined and it's it's a bummer because yeah. those illustrations were a highlight mm-hmm. of the show, you know. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the they sort of did these on a tighter budget, you know. Um, a lot of the effects that they did in the first few seasons, like the frost on Mister Freeze's helmet, like you had to airbrush. Uh, different cells, so every time Freeze walked, you have to airbrush again and again and again. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a, an easy solution, but they went ahead and did it, or that studio did it. So it feels like this animation is more on a budget, you know, hence why they streamline the looks. Um, it also feels like they're using fewer studios. Um, the uh, model sheets seem to be more correct and consistent from episode to episode, mm-hmm. whereas sometimes the model sheets in the first three seasons kind of didn't really line up here mm-hmm. and there like sometimes batman's jaw was huge sometimes it wasn't like stuff like that yeah yeah um the uh they've obviously we've talked about the redesigns of characters and you mentioned that mm-hmm. this episode uh greatly improved one character and i can only assume you are talking mm-hmm. about bruce wayne's disguise <laughs> <laughs> which has moved from Matches Malone to guy from Brooklyn with a pencil thin mustache <laughs> wearing Bruce Wayne's suit. Yeah, it's just Bruce Wayne with a with a tiny mustache on doing a voice. <laughs> and Scarecrow is Scarecrow's like I don't know who you are. It's like, "Oh, well, I ain't Bruce Wayne." It's like, "You know, you look a lot like Bruce Wayne." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um how the hell they can do such a good design? with the uh, scarecrow and then just go, eh, it's the end of the day. What should we do for Bruce? I don't know. Pencil mustache. Let's go Kevin, to the Kevin wants to do a funny voice. Can we just <laughs> pick something that goes with the voice? I also liked when Batman started yelling at Robin, calling him a pipsqueak or whatever. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, I think this is a really, I like this episode a lot. Um, yeah. Scarecrow is, all around an improvement on the character his his look yeah. is legitimately terrifying and yeah. his he's voiced now by jeffrey combs who is mm-hmm. known reanimator pri- primarily prim- primarily from reanimator uh he's also i think he must be like the number one most recurring guest star on star trek because he's been on like every single <laughs> show since 1987 yeah um, i think you're right but yeah, Jeffrey Combs, big horror icon, cult horror icon, mm-hmm. playing Scarecrow. Great choice. I would actually, mm-hmm. I it maybe it might be too late now. I don't know. But if I were casting a Batman movie and they said 
who should play Scarecrow, I would say Jeffrey Combs. I think that's a great choice. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how old he is. Who did he play in TNG? I I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Maybe he was. I okay. assume he was in. I assume he was in Next Generation. Yeah, he might be. I just I, I know obviously he was in uh, the other ones. Was he in uh, Voyager? I forget. I have to imagine he probably was. Yeah. I know I'm the only one that liked Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, for as an it's a it's great you should should put that out there because on our Patreon Wes and I are doing uh, if we get up to nine hundred dollars we're going to cover every episode of Voyager. I'll give you that right now just to fuck with you. <laughs> I hey, go for it. <laughs> I dare you to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, let me talk to my wife first, but I might bankroll that just because I want to hear you guys talk about Voyager, but I want, I want I, you to <laughs> go ahead. I, I mean, I listen, if you're going to bankroll it, we're not going to be just a mouthpiece for your views on Voyager. Okay. We're not going to be, ha- we're not going to be clearing our shows with you to make sure we don't slander it in a way <laughs> no, that you're not happy ask with for that. I want everything up a full letter grade, whatever you're going to give it. I want you to boost it a full letter grade. Uh, We'll, we'll give my sponsor you <laughs> we'll give we'll give our rating and then we'll give our sponsor based rating which is a full grade higher right or you send me a different file than you the one you actually release so you think so i think that the show is going one way and it's not <laughs> yeah it'll you'll be able to tell because of the it'll be like we give this episode a four <laughs> like the new wayne's world commercials yes yeah <laughs> You know, if I'm going to give you guys a grant to review something for seven seasons, I think I'd rather just torture you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's really a game of chicken because I <laughs> my understanding is it has to remain at nine hundred dollars for us to continue. Uh, and actually, technically, you would only have to. I think we're up to I think we're up to like seven hundred, so it would just be two hundred dollars a month until we finish mm-hmm. uh, finish getting through Voyager. So. <laughs> Can I make you off something horrible? I'll give you $1,000 if you go review Little House on the Prairie or something. I, if you want to give us $1,000 a month, we'll do whatever you want. As Winston Zedmore said, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, back to Batman. Um, I fucking love this episode. Yeah. Um, when I think back to the whole series, this one is always a top 10 for me. Um. I, it's got a, a few flaws or things that bug me, but otherwise, I I think it's pretty. Uh, it, it doesn't have any fat on it. It just keeps moving forward. The idea that um, Scarecrow, instead of making people afraid, he's taken away their fear. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a great idea. Um, I love how these big alligators are supposedly going to kill Bruce Wayne, but he ends up murdering them because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And I love how he's getting ballsier and walking into gunfire. And uh, I love how Robin tries to shut him down. And Batman tries to lie to Robin to get him to untie him. And uh, like Batman becomes a threat to Robin, which is great. Yeah. it. This one has more of... It's not as forward of a theme, but I do think it's really interesting that this episode is is basically positing the only thing that's keeping Batman from going over the edge is fear of himself, basically. Um, mm. which is yeah. uh, which is a really a really interesting idea that uh yeah i'm i feel like i feel like is hindered a bit because they don't go into it that much because i think i feel like the older show would have dissected that a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, but this one it's just sort of there as he's you know doing crazy shit yeah. 
But it's there to serve the action, and it works. But yeah, there's a few. I would like to see this drawn out into two episodes and have him get introspective somehow. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. And uh, just to clarify, Jeffrey Combs was not on TNG, but he was on. He played like five different people on Deep Space Nine. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, I, I I really like the change in approach from Scarecrow, where he's like, well, the scaring thing didn't work. What happens if we don't make anybody afraid? That would be an interesting way to uh, wrench in the, in the machine. Uh, yeah. It, it shows growth on his part, that he's willing to change it up when he notices things aren't working. Yeah. The other thing they do with Scarecrow, other than rewrite him, give him a different voice actor and an entirely different look, is he's got this really uh, gloomy music in the background mm. every time you see him mm-hmm. it's not even music it's just they hit this chord on a really deep scary scary chord as he like walks off into the, the tree line or something and i love how long and flappy his arms are i mean he's designed to look like a corpse um he actually has a noose around his neck which is amazing and his face is it's hard to get a read on it it's drawn in three different sections that are sort of floating around in yeah. blackness under his hat and these two eyes sticking out like, I don't even know how you would make an action figure out of that because it's something that really only works in 2D, you know? Yeah, I wonder if they did. I'll have to look it up. It's, um... <coughs> excuse yeah, me. I'll look it up right now. The, uh... This, the most interesting thing about it is it is straight up the most drastic redesign, I think, out of any character. Because yeah. generally the redesigns keep some element of the previous version and just sort of, like, mm-hmm. give it a bit of a tweak. But this is like yeah. a ground up thing. It's it's almost kind of it's it's jarring because the the original Scarecrow had that bright red tunic that he wore and his his mask mm-hmm. was kind of like beige colored and stuff and he had the brown hat. And he had some color yeah. to him whereas this guy is just black and like pale right. white hands and stuff. It's just a very yeah. jarring change. It's it's like they knew it wasn't working and they completely went in the opposite direction and fixed it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's he's probably changed more more times than anybody else because he started off with that weird like condom face where it yeah. was just like oh, God, a really yeah. bad drawing of a of like a sack and it just didn't yeah. work. Yeah, so there is a uh, an action figure of this design and it looks pretty good except the face it's just flesh colored and it's. They do the best they can, yeah. but uh, it doesn't really work as well. Like, it has a nice, um, there's like a zigzaggy bit of flesh that sort of shoots over his nose from his eye in the animation, and they did capture that, but uh, yeah, I think that they did the best they could, all things considered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the the action figure right now. Yeah, it's not bad. It's yeah, probably about as the, the best you can can, a, can ask for. That's a, that's a pretty yeah. cool one, actually. I just keep my eyes open. Yeah, like, I wouldn't want to sculpt that one. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? Honestly, like the previous versions of the Scarecrow, those action figures are a lot easier to figure out because it's all fleshed out. Right. But this one is such a, it's so dependent on the 2D design of his face and those shapes, you know? You know what he looks like? He looks like Eddie from uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, he kind of he, does. He's got that same, like, that nose thing, that kind of swamp thing has, and Eddie from Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah he, looks like, he looks like Eddie from Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden in a cool jacket and a hat. Which yeah sounds good to me. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, I this <clears throat> excuse me. It's in, the the most interesting thing to me about this is is the the change in in approach for Scarecrow offers a mm-hmm. completely different take on what Scarecrow does 
because Scarecrow usually comes along with weird visions and shit, and uh-huh. uh, you know, another another overwrought sequence of Batman sliding down the barrel of a gun <laughs> and getting shot into his mom's <laughs> necklace or something. <laughs> Um, and they take that away in favor of Batman Batman turning into something scary, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Something scary to Robin. Because, I mean, it's you could argue that Robin's biggest fear might be Batman going over the edge and him not being able to do anything about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, think it's, I think it's really good. Yeah. Uh, I think the animation is really cool. Um, the the idea... Yeah. The idea that this is another one where it's like they throw this interesting kind of societal idea at you, but they don't really get into it too much is this idea that mm-hmm. fear, I think Scarecrow says it, fear is the only thing that makes society work, like fear that that someone else is going to kill. Like without fear, society breaks down. And that's a really yeah. kind of uh, between that and the second episode in a row of Batman saying dead is dead. There's a yeah. real kind of gloomy atmosphere to this series, to this yeah, season of the show. Yeah. I think, well, Batman is a little bit more intense, a little more cold mm-hmm. than he used to be. Um, and uh, I said this uh, many seasons ago, but when I first wrote White Knight, the version of Batman that I pictured was this version from this episode mm. because he was acting so brash and dangerous, but it somehow hadn't you know blown back at him yet and joker was the blowback uh in white mm, knight mm-hmm. so yeah i imagine the version of batman that had gone too far was taking too many chances and couldn't be stopped and i just imagine the voice of this version and because season four here has a darker version of batman for it to get even darker in this one episode which really shows him just you know one step away from losing it i think is really interesting i, I forget when uh, robin is on the train um how does batman incapacitate him how does Batman incapacitate Robin? Yeah, isn't Robin... Because Robin's Robin, got it, but Batman catches up to him. Robin uh, gets caught by uh, Scarecrow's goon, and he gets like knocked okay. in the head, and then he gets handcuffed to the pole or something. That's right, and Batman walks by him. He doesn't unlock Robin. Right? I think so, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's right. Robin does a karate chop through the handcuffs. <laughs> That's right, yes. Which, yeah. I don't even know how you would... Be able to get the <laughs> momentum needed to do that if you're handcuffed. That's really impressive, so he, actually. He does say, ow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. So, you know, you're a big fan of consequences, Clay. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, luckily, Scarecrow had that uh, that uh, thing that you breathe into, uh, that inhaler that uh, would fix the problem. Oh, right. Yes, when, the inhaler of antidote. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious, like the motivation of Scarecrow. So I watched this episode a few days ago, so I'm missing some of the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. But uh, there was a Tony Robbins character who was sort of a criminal too. And he, yeah. Scarecrow hired him to investigate, a, try to find a scare thing or whatever. Um, my understanding like is on? that he, he hired this guy basically to be the mouthpiece for his anti, anti-fear toxin where he, it's... People are taking it under the auspice of uh, a self-help thing where it's like, you can, we'll teach you how to get rid of whatever you're afraid of. And then they give you this Mm. thing. It's basically like, again, it's a fairly cynical idea. This idea that 
everyone thinks that they don't want to be afraid of anything, but what does that actually look like? It actually turns you into mm-hmm. a psychopath. Uh, you know? yep. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. It's a little, it's, it is kind of weird when you see, um, this Tony Robbins guy who's very slick and talking about, you know, ah, we're going to take away your fear. And then the next mm-hmm. scene is him talking to this like 1800s zombie character about like <laughs> business decisions. Um, but that's just what <laughs> in you a get boardroom. in a boardroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You yeah. Meet, I don't know if you meet Scarecrow in a boardroom, but um, yeah, yeah, he may, he's that's more the... business minded now. He's more concerned about, he's taking his, uh, his appearance, his brand into further consideration. Yep. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think the conversation was like when he visited the brand manager? <laughs> you like, this been is the third here. time you've come back. Yeah, this is the third time. <laughs> Listen, I got no more sacks. All I got is this old pumpkin. I'm gonna throw it. You want it, you can have it. <laughs> I'm not even gonna charge you. Just get out of my face. How about you this take noose that over noose. here? Can I get that? You take Fine. that noose. Yeah, take the noose. If you think you're gonna come back, hang yourself with it. I don't want to see you. <laughs> It's like, what if I uh, do a different thing with my face? Like, it's kind of, you can't even really see what I'm doing, but sometimes you can. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> that works too. Just take I a think, sack and go. I think what you need to be afraid of is me charging your charge card again, because I don't think you get enough money to cover this stuff. This is the third time you've been here. <laughs> oh, man. We got to do that. Oh, Brandon. Yeah. Brand manager. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I, I really I like this one because it's it's a it's actually kind of a Robin centric episode which I like. Um, mm. You know, yeah. Tim has just been kind of in the background uh, to this point, yeah. but this is a good one where he gets. And you know him yeah. being him being extra young is also nice too because again it's like the old Batman and Robin team team up felt like two kind of peers, whereas this one mm-hmm. Tim is still very young. So if you have yeah. Batman go off the deep end now you've just got yeah. this kid who has to yeah. figure out how to deal right. with it and and if he turns on robin yeah. or anything <laughs> there's um an episode of superman where superman's missing and robin's crime uh, gotham's crime is so out of control that it's like leaking into metropolis mm-hmm. so superman goes to find robin he's like where the fuck's batman and robin's like i don't know he disappeared a while ago it's just me and it, like during their conversation, the bat signal goes on again, and Robin's like, "Jesus Christ, this is a, I'm never going to get a break," and he has to swing <laughs> off. So uh, Superman has to pretend to be Batman for an episode. It, it's amazing. Oh, um, nice. But nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's it's. I almost think we should watch that as part of this. Um, sure. In case we don't want to watch Superman. <laughs> well, it's all it's all on HBO Max now, so we can jump around as much yep. as we want. Actually, speaking of it's that. True. I just started watching dipping into Batman Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. Really fun. Really really fun yeah. show. It's uh it, it really leans into the kind of silver age 70s kind of mm-hmm. silly silliness of stuff. Yeah. Um yeah. and it's just really fun. I I thought of it cuz I I watched one today where uh um Superman Lex Luthor ends up getting Superman uh to touch red kryptonite which causes him to you know turn into an asshole and yeah the way that they defeat lex luther is superman confronts lex luther and luther thinks he's got the upper hand because he's got more green kryptonite to kill superman but then superman's mm-hmm. unfazed by it and just punches him in the face and then superman pulls off his own head like a mask to reveal batman in full cowl <laughs> And then, and then Batman pulls off his entire head like a mask to reveal Superman in the Batman suit. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, man, I, I never watched that, but I heard it got great reviews. And it, yeah, even it's though it fun. wasn't dark, it was a nice uh, title shift because you need you can't just always do dark Batman. It's nice to have a variety in there. Yeah, yeah, I, I would recommend I would re- recommend it. It's a fun show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what did you think of the end of this episode when uh, they're dragging um, <clears throat> Scarecrow out of the subway and Batman says, sometimes a little fear is a good thing? I thought it was hilarious. The, uh, <laughs> the, idea, <laughs> the idea of Batman and Robin dragging the Scarecrow down the streets of Metropolis in broad daylight is hilarious. <laughs> and with the, when they show it... Sorry, Gotham, not Metropolis. Uh, sorry, yeah. When they show him, the, the camera angle is funny because it's on Batman. You see him walk past and you see Scarecrow. And it, it stays on him until you can even see his little dainty dancing feet just pointed straight <laughs> down. He's like, a, he's like he's dragging a wet flag. There's yes, nothing yeah. to sc- Scarecrow. He's just limp. <laughs> yeah, because that design, one of the cool things about that design is it's like this, like many of Bruce Timm's designs, it's like a big triangle from the shoulders. And so yeah. if you're dragging that and his suit is basically like a ripped up jacket or something it's gonna yeah it looks yeah. like you're just dragging a big wet bag <laughs> oh man <laughs> do uh yeah and again the, the, that ending with that like truncated uh, sorry that condensed depth that i was talking about you do get a little bit of more depth to the story just in these brief windows and you have it right here at the very end where the point of the episode is that Batman can teach Robin a little bit about the value of fear in a way. Yeah. 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 Just enough. Just enough. I think this is probably my favorite one we've watched so far. Yeah. This one's hard to beat. I mean, the concept itself is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, um, I do think it's still leaning. They're clearly leaning more heavily into action with this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause even in this one, there's, um, there's a, there's a lot of action beats and stuff, but I think the mm-hmm. the story that they're telling through it is it's not action for action's sake. Like the stuff Batman is doing has a mm-hmm. story purpose and stuff. And the the opening scene yeah. with the guy swinging from the balloon through the mm-hmm. city, which is also that's pretty a really funny. long scene. Like, it I is. was impressed by how long that went on. Yeah, I was impressed yeah. by his uh, upper arm strength that he managed to hang <laughs> on to that thing so long, and how strong those cables are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's this whole giant like neon sign that's the size of a few buses falling towards people on the street, <clears throat> and Batman and Robin are able to like wire some of they use their cables to basically crisscross and catch it right before it hits the ground, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a, I, <laughs> I wish I wish in that moment there was internal monologue for Batman to be like, I honestly didn't know that if that was going to work. Thank God it worked. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to have to quit after today. <laughs> sometimes you got to make decisions, and sometimes they don't always work. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think, um, what would you, Oh, go ahead. What would you want to draw from this one? You know, as much as I would love, <coughs> excuse me, I would love to do like a, a splash page of, of that design of Scarecrow. But uh-huh. the thing that actually stood out to me was the sequence where Batman is roughing up the Tony Robbins guy and throws <laughs> yeah. him out the window. Cause yeah, I I was just thinking about it from a storytelling perspective of like getting across the 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 action and the fear and the possibility that maybe Batman has kind of gone over the edge. I think would be really mm-hmm. fun to do on like a couple pages. Yeah, you know, I was going to pick that one too because I'm a fan of action scenes that involve depth 
meaning mm. falls from great heights or mm-hmm. climbing the sides of buildings. We talked about um, that episode where Joker is a comedian and how um, there's a fight on these uh, hot air balloons. Oh, sure. I love stuff like that where a character can plummet because you don't get to really do very like vertically stretched panels a lot mm. in comics. Mm-hmm. So I always take those opportunities to do like the guy climbing out a window and you can see the street far below him. Like I like that stuff. So yeah, Batman tossing that guy is... That's that's what I was gonna say because I thought you were gonna go for Scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I mean, uh, the more I think about it, I was like, I might just do that for the hell of it. That's a fun, fun design yeah. to do. That'd be a fun uh, little pin up to do. Um, yeah, you could go to all Zafino on it, and it would uh, work really well. Actually, oh, uh, yeah, Gerard Zafino would be great at that. Uh, Zafino's kid is really good. Yeah, another reason for me just to stop drawing because he's really good at it. <laughs> every time I see his stuff, <laughs> I wonder why I don't just yeah. quit. I, I hate when it's because you're as artists, we're trying to find our style and something that's us unique, but also is a nod to the things that we like. Mm-hmm. And then when you find another artist that's doing the thing that you want to do better, yeah. it's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating. Um, and also, yeah. the thing I've always found too is the thing that you do is always not exactly what you think you want to be doing, if that makes sense. Like, I I have my favorite artists like uh, Zafino or Bilsenkevich or Alberto Brescia or whoever, and in my head I'm like I would like to draw like a synthesis of all of those guys, but yeah. that's not what I draw like. I don't I don't think that my stuff. You could look <laughs> at my stuff and be like, oh, he's clearly influenced by Bilsenkevich or something. You know, like it's mm-hmm. I I think it comes out. I think that stuff always comes out in a different way than you expect it to, and that's what yeah. makes it your style. Um, yeah, unless, unless you are just straight trying to copy somebody, but yeah, you know, when Jim Lee started, I think he said in interviews, he just picked the top three styles of the time. So he mixed John Byrne with two other guys, I Mm -hmm. forget who they are. And if you look at his style, yeah, that's exactly what Jim does. It's John Byrne with this guy and that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, like what? To, to run through your phases of influence as you've gotten older, uh, who, which artist you leapt, leapt from, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was a big Jim Lee fan, so I, I tried to draw like Jim Lee when I was a kid. I tried to draw like Rob Liefeld. Um, then I tried to draw like Bruce Timm, which was a very different artist. Uh, then I tried to draw like Travis Ture for a while, mm-hmm. which that mm-hmm. got me through college. And then I tried to draw like Jason Pearson, and then I tried to draw like Brian Stelfreeze, and these guys all had very clean kind of styles. And then I discovered uh, Topi and mm-hmm. Zafino and Toth, or at least I started to appreciate them more. And that led me to Bill, K- Bill Sankavich, who was also a, a sort of a student of the Topi way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. And I, I have to look back at Zafino to remind myself to be chunky and heavy. And not to be so clean and plastic like, you know, Jim Lee maybe is mm-hmm. or Brian Stelfries is. But yeah, then, then there's this thing where you get too close to Topi, where if you start, you know, cross-hatching the way he does, then it's like, oop, someone's going to call me in my bullshit. Yeah. That's, a, that's a clear <laughs> Topi line right there, you know? Yeah. But uh, you can't, you, inevitably, you, I still probably have remnants of Jim Lee and Bruce Timm and all those things in my style to this day, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what your uh, trajectory has been. Well, oddly enough, I uh, I grew up on the on the '90s stuff, but I don't know if I ever really tried to draw like them. 
Um, uh-huh. The first the first person I think I tried to actively draw like because I I didn't start taking like art classes or anything until like middle school, and mm-hmm. at that time I was all in on Alex Ross, and like I <laughs> Marvels loved it, Kingdom Come loved it, and so when I was taking art classes I was learning how to paint I had never painted before, and so the stuff that I was doing is I was copying Alex Ross paintings. So yeah. I was going for a more uh, realistic, photorealistic kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until college, really, that when I started getting into straight comic work, mm-hmm. I kind of picked up Sienkiewicz because as I as I started inking, it was kind of like a necessity because I was like, oh, Sienkiewicz... I'm not a I'm not a clean artist. Like I'm ve- I, I can never draw or ink like, you know, uh Walt Simonson or somebody or somebody with like a super super clean style. I just can't do it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a huge hindrance until I saw someone who also didn't. I mean, Sinkevich can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to do a more um erratic kind of style. And once I saw that there were really no rules, I kind of started going more in the dirty direction where I was like, okay, so the lines don't have to be perfect. There can be splatters. It's a matter of, and it's a matter of controlling that stuff. And so I kind of went through Sienkiewicz and then I discovered Zafino and, and kind of, I love Mm -hmm. working backwards and seeing influences like the music that I like. I always go back. It's like, okay, well this band, they were really influenced by these guys from the seventies or whatever, who was influenced by these guys yeah. from the forties. I, I, or same with movies and stuff. I re, I'm really interested in that stuff. <clears throat> and yeah. so inevitably I would work my way back and that's how I discovered Brescia. And, uh, I love the guys yeah. who worked for, um, the EC guys and the guys who worked for like mm. creepy and eerie who had that really, yeah. really nice black and white style. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's weird because like I I every now and then I see something where I'm like, ooh, I should try and incorporate some of that, but it's like, yeah, that doesn't really fit with what I do. Like, see, it's mm-hmm. I I've I kind of have my own thing. I think that is really none of those guys, but it's somehow all of them at the same time. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, the analogy I use uh, sometimes with an artist who's locking up because they're they have so many different influences that they. They actually don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you have. But I have a friend who has this problem. And I, uh, I think about that episode of The Simpsons where um, Mr. Burns has every disease. Yes. Yeah. And because he has every disease, he, none of them can get through the little door. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he uses this example with these little, like, puffy figures or whatever they are. Um, so I, I was being overwhelmed by my influences for a while. Because mm-hmm. I really liked guys like Chris Ware who have an independent, uh, very clean style like he could draw on a stamp this stuff's so broken down it's amazing but i would also like kyle baker and i'd also like topi and chris ware and topi could not be more polar oh totally like there there is not a style that i could come up with that embrace both of them um because one sacrifices stuff to gain other things and the other gains those other things by sacrificing the first if that makes sense right right um so i had to take all my influences and i had like probably hundreds of them, and whittle it down to three. Is go, okay, I really like you, Chris Ware, but you have no place in my art. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I really love you, uh, you know, Jim Lee, but I just don't, I don't have, it's, I, I wish I could do that, but I can't, so I'm going to stop looking at you. And I just zoned in on 
uh, Toth, uh, Zafino, and Bill Watterson. Mm-hmm. Because even though Bill Watterson's a cartoonist, like the way that he inks is not really that different than the way uh, Zafino inks. Right. Yeah. In, in yeah. some ways, and it's, I, if I had a, if you could see me, I could explain to people why that is, and I could I could plead my case. But there is like a through line through those three artists that I can focus in on. And it was really helpful to shut away all of the influences like, hey, I love you guys, but you have no place in my art. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, it's interesting because uh, um, when I look back at, at the way that I work and all of the different in, uh, influence that, I, that I've, I've, I've taken on, the thing that remains a constant is that I, I first really started thinking about art through painting. And I feel like that's where I'm most co- I'm most comfortable in my comic work is when there's a little when there's like a painterly quality to it, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's the one through line I think that's that's drawn that's taken me through uh, to where I am now is is uh, how to how to blend the comic book sensibility with this idea that I would I want to use my thumbprint I want to you know just load up the brush and just see what happens when I smush it on the page, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, something a little bit more uh, expressive and painterly is what interests me. It doesn't really interest me to do like tight, clean comic book stuff. And l- thankfully in the modern era, you don't have to, I mean, all of that stuff is, is on the table. Yeah. yeah it's interesting when you find an artist that is really loose, it's like you're, you've been given permission to be loose as well. Right. Right. You know, like, Oh, I can see what St. Cavage is doing. I thought scribbling for rendering was wrong. Bill King Sienkiewicz says it's right. So right. you don't feel yep. so alone. Mm-hmm. And you've got an example of somebody that's making a work. So it gives you bravery. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that's uh, really helpful. I, I've, I've probably said this before, but watching Bill work was like, like a eureka <laughs> moment for me because I, <laughs> I realized that all the stuff I was worried about you know, wasn't an issue. Because, and that's kind of how I started to develop my style. Yeah, because I was worried that I could never do comic book inking because it had to be so clean. And I was like, well, that's not how Mm -hmm. Bill does it. And if I look at what my strengths and weaknesses are at the time, if I can develop a style that embraces the fact that I don't know what I'm doing, (laughs) then hopefully I can can at least fake my way through it until I figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of where my arc has been. It's gone from... I'm I'm doing a lot more um, stylistic stuff to cover the fact that I don't really know. I'm, I'm not really mm-hmm. well versed with the tools and and how things work. To now yeah. keeping some of that stuff in my arsenal, but being a lot more uh, having mm-hmm. a lot more skill with the things that I'm doing. Right. You know the trick with less with, with messy styles is how do you handle backgrounds and perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Because the the beauty of a messy style is it's um, it's spontaneous and it doesn't feel overworked. It feels very free and it has energy. But when you do perspective, you have to measure and overwork things mm-hmm. just to get your math correct. Yeah. So you spend all this time, you know, laying out this grid and these buildings and like, all right, so now that you have it all correctly uh, measured, do you ink it messy? What was the point of measuring everything? It's going to be messy. Can you make yeah. it a little bit messy, but the perspective still holds? Do you just throw the perspective out the window and just, you know, go for a uh, you know, atmospheric perspective in some way or layer? Like you keep the camera eye level, but you just sort of layer and keep it in one point perspective. Like a lot of the really messy artists, 
tend to go into one point perspective backgrounds I've noticed yeah, because it's yeah. the only way to get depth in a way that like retains the messiness. And the thing that I've been sort of trying to explore my whole career is how do you keep the Zafino in you, but also measure your, like map that onto 3d background that looks, that doesn't look um, too uh, stiff. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And the that's... way I found it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And the way I found doing that is, um, is working in anime and manga is speed lines don't feel stiff, but those speed lines are all mostly perfectly straight lines. Mm -hmm. Like there's a way where I was able to take, you know, Zafino and mix it with manga and sort of try to make it work for my style. Um, And I'm not saying I've like cracked the code because I'm still figuring out, you know, and making mistakes all the time. But yeah, it's funny because I, when I, um, when my career took off, I saw a lot of artists trying to ape my stuff. And uh, I don't think a lot of it, was intentional i think it's just something that happens i mean i used to steal from jim lee so <laughs> right so right. um but the one thing that they they were able to take the messiness and the obvious fingerprints and the scribbling and the heavy blacks but you could tell they didn't have the knowledge of perspective and backgrounds like they could take mm. the shallow stuff that was easy pickings but they could not get to the root of what i was doing with my art like they just didn't know perspective like i did right um, so that's kind of where it fell short a lot of those guys and I, th- I think a lot of them moved on to swipe from other artists now which is fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's i've been trying to reconcile the same thing too because i i i never learned perspective because it was when i was first starting out doing stuff um uh-huh. i was a little bit ignorant of the fact that you need to know how to draw basically everything in order to do this job and i just yep. never like i don't like i said i'm not a clean artist so i don't like rulers and I don't like straight lines. And so perspective has always been an issue for me and always been something I've been yeah. trying to work to, to figure out. And uh, yeah. I've gotten better at it, but I still haven't totally reconciled what exactly what you're saying is how, how does that fit in to the other stuff mm-hmm. that you're doing without it looking too uh, mm-hmm. stiff and too overwrought. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant battle for me anyway. Yeah. It's easier when you, what, what makes Hellboy and Mike Mignola's stuff work so well is, I think Mike knows how to draw three-point perspective and two-point perspective. Oh, I'm sure he does, He's done yeah. it in the past. I think he just is bored with it, and he's just more interested in um, eye-level compositions. And when I yeah. say that, I mean, you know, the camera, so to speak, is usually between three and six feet off the ground, and, and it's facing mm-hmm. level. It's, you're not looking up at a building or down from a bird's eye view. Hellboy, if he's walking into a church, the camera's lined up with the steps that he's taking, and there's very little um, measuring and perspective that Mike has to do. Um, I don't even think he's ever drawn a car in a Hellboy comic that I can ever... I've never <laughs> seen him draw a that's car. That's a really good point. Yeah, I don't know if he has. <laughs> he's like, you know what? I want to draw creepy buildings from Europe and landscapes from Ireland and creepy monsters. I don't want to fucking mm-hmm. draw cities and stuff. So mm-hmm. the only time he draws a city in Hellboy is when he draws the headquarters of BPRD. And it's a, like... Eye on first, it's one point perspective shot of a Frank Lloyd Wright looking building, and that's that's the most you're going to get out of Mike. Yeah, and God bless him for being that way because I think he's awesome. You know, I mean, he found that before anyone else did. Um, but yeah, and then when Duncan Fergredo took over BPRD, he was able to do a version of Mignola that was like Mignola, but it was now 3D, and yeah. he did down point, you know, three point perspectives and all this stuff. In some ways, he was doing a better Mignola than Mignola was doing. And I think yeah. that's something that I actually heard Mike say because, you know, he loves Duncan's style. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting the creative workarounds. Because like I've I'm more interested in in a Mignola approach these days too. Like I would love to just draw Batman walking up a staircase, and the camera's just you know it's not doing a crazy camera angle. Like I like boring cameras, but I like um dynamic uh blocking in the right, background right, right you know dynamic placement of shapes and that stuff you're like you're not relying on the camera to be crazy and wacky the camera actually is just boring it's just sitting there in the church but i'm going to draw that church in a way that pulls you in right you know yeah if that makes sense but sometimes you i the stuff that i write there's just no way around not using three-point perspective you know yeah <laughs> and for me that's when my uh anime manga come kicks in and that's when i start to go okay you know how do i do this again yeah, I run into that too. Where like when I when I'm laying something out, it's like, yeah, I would love to not do perspective shots if possible. But the yeah. every now and then I'll be like, I'll lay something out. I'll be like, I feel like in order for this to work, it needs to be a three point perspective shot. Fuck, why yeah. do I do this to myself? I hate drawing these things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good I at think it. That's because that's because you're a good writer and you care. Like I think artists sometimes like they don't want to draw crowds. It doesn't matter if the script calls for a crowd. They're going to draw as few right. people as possible and try right. to get to the next page. For me and for you, I think the storytelling is the most important thing. So yeah. even though you don't want to draw a crowd, if that's what the scene calls for, sorry, buddy, but right. you're, spending, you're going to be working late tonight, you know? Right, right, exactly, yeah. Yep, yep. Working late. Yep. That's the name, uh, name of my game. Did we give this one a rating yet? No. Uh, you want to go first? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go a four. Yeah, I'm also going to go four. I think this is uh, I'm not sure what a five. I think I know what a five looks like in this series because it's the only episode that I actively remember. That's probably uh-huh. going to be my five for this series. Um, yeah. But this is... We all know which one that is. Yeah. But this is probably a close second. I would give this one a four, yeah. Yeah, I think this one is probably the second best episode of the series. Yeah. Uh, maybe number three because I love Over the Edge as well. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I'm looking forward to getting into some of the Nightwing stuff. I think he's showing up in the next ones. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, he shows. I up can't in remember if we get the Nightwing introduced or do we get the backstory of how they split up until later. Uh, it looks like we're gonna. Well, uh, the episodes we'll be doing next time are. Double talk and you scratch my back and you scratch my back is the uh, is the Nightwing episode. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't look like we get his backstory, but it's uh, it involves right. it involves Nightwing and Catwoman. So we get our first look at the new re- redesign for Catwoman. Um, so, Gone. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's not my favorite. But, yeah. uh, so Old Wounds is the one where we get to learn about what happened with the original Robin. So Old Wounds comes later. So I guess the cat scratches. Yeah, it's not old, called scratch. It's cat scratch fever, is it? What uh, is it? you scratch my back. That's right. Cat scratch fever was an episode, though, right? I think so. <laughs> okay. We uh, we're not going to get to we're not going to get to old wounds until much later. Actually, that's the seventeenth episode out of twenty four. So we got a bit a bit wow. of a way to go to get to that one. But they hold that card back for a while. I'm yeah. Impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, but uh, yeah. that's going to do it. I think for cold comfort and never fear. Thank you guys for listening. If you'd if you're interested in uh, helping Sean sponsor Wes and I's <laughs> descent into Star Trek Voyager, you can do that at the at the patreon.com slash the Pesky file. Uh, we're also with uh, you, the other horror show that I do, Rotten Horror Picture Show. Uh, 
our Patreon episodes for that. <laughs> my, Amanda and myself are covering the Friday the 13th series, which is pretty fun. We're doing one a month, and uh, we just had... I don't know when this comes out, but whatever month you're in now, that's the number of the movie that we're currently doing. Can I be a guest on your Voyager? Can I uh, intrude on the I mean, party? Or you're, do you want to keep it, you and Wes? If you're paying for it, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. You can run the show. I don't give a shit. I, I feel like you should watch two episodes of Voyager. You should watch... Um, uh, I feel like we should uh, watch fuck. every episode of Voyager because I have bills I got to pay. So... <laughs> There's you one called Year of Hell. Whenever it's, you want. It's, it's one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Yeah. In every series. It's called Year of Hell. It's actually what the whole series should have been. Um, it has the, oh, really? um, a lot of actors you love. Yeah, like you should watch that. It's a two-parter. And I think if you know that there's a beacon of hope that you're reaching towards, it'll help you get through the first few seasons <laughs> of Voyager, which I admit are not good. Well, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want you to put your wallet back in your pocket. But... Uh, <laughs> if we don't if we don't hit the if we don't hit the nine hundred dollar mark, we will eventually be doing a curated run through of Voyager. So we won't be doing the okay. whole series, but we'll be doing um I don't know, select episodes <laughs> right. season to season. I guess but. I'll put my wallet away then, now that you told me that. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. This might never ever happen if we don't get enough money. So uh What if I paid you- I'll pay nine hundred, but you and Wes have to have filters on your cameras to put bunny ears on your faces or something like that. I, that, that's fine with me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Anything for a dollar, huh? Nice. Hey, yeah. Hey, it's we're, it's a pandemic living, man. You got to make money where you can. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, double talk and you scratch my back. Right